0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Vast Podcast. My name is Michael Whittle, and I host this weekly podcast with my friend Jake Sweetman with the single goal in mind of helping curious people think more deeply about the gospel and how it informs their whole lives. Before jumping into this interview, we want to just say a quick thank you for going on this journey with us. This show has grown exponentially. Over the last couple of months so if you're new here welcome we're uh, honestly having such a great time having these conversations with smart people and then sharing them with you and we'd love to hear from you so many of you have reached out over the last few weeks to let us know how much these episodes have impacted you and so feel free to shoot us an email and say hello you can email me at mW at Or you can shoot us a DM on Instagram at vast.faith. Let us know topics you'd like to hear us talk more about, guests that we should have on, and any other ideas you have for the show. And do us a massive favor, and if you haven't already, would you like, rate, leave a review of the show on whatever platform you are listening on today? It makes such a huge difference in helping spread the word. This week, Jake and I talk with Hakeem Bradley. Hakeem lives in Portland, Oregon. He works at the Bible Project, is a leader at Bridgetown Church, and co-hosts the Reconstruct podcast with two of his friends, Kenneth and Tom, where they talk all about rebuilding life as a follower of Jesus on the other side of deconstruction. In this conversation, we talked to Hakeem about what it was like growing up in the 5 Percenters movement, his journey of deconstruction, what got him to the other side of it, while still passionately following Jesus and the importance of real Christian friendship and community. Let's go to this conversation with Hakeem Bradley. Ah, uh, what's up? We are here with Hakeem Bradley. Hakeem, what's up, man? What's going on? How are you? I'm doing good. I, I can't complain. It's a <laughs> it's a
1: somewhat. Uh, it was sunny, but now it's, okay. <laughs> it's just regular Portland rainy. So I'm doing okay though.
0: Yeah, man. It's, I was just in Vancouver last weekend and it was like cloudy, rainy the whole time. And being from LA, it's like amazing. But I wonder how do you experience that all the time? Yeah, I not. It's,
1: it's weird. Actually the last maybe week or some change, it's kind of been like all four seasons in like one, <laughs> it'd be freezing one day. Then it feels like a summer day. Then the next day is rainy, but sunny, like a spring day. Okay. You just need a hoodie the next day like fall time. So my body don't know what's going on. Yeah. Are you from Portland? No, I'm originally from Philly. So I I like to look at myself as the fresh prince of Portland. Okay. (laughs) 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 Are you
0: are you an Eagles fan? Die Hard. Man, I'm a cowboys fan. Born and raised in Dallas.
1: Mike, I don't know if we're gonna be able to make this conversation,
0: man. We need to cut it. I remember being a kid. I remember being a little kid and my dad going to a Cowboys Eagles game in Philly. You know, back mm-hmm. when those big puffy cowboy jackets were yep. were in. Oh yeah. And they were walking across the across the parking lot to get into the to get into the stadium wearing those cowboys jackets. And mm-hmm. so people just started throwing frozen cans of beer at them <laughs> as they were as they were walking by. Philly fans, that? man. Philly fans, oh, bro.
1: They're blue, Philly I mean- fans. <laughs> let me try to differentiate my we're brutal but they're like a different breed of brutality so yeah, it's it's different but fly eagles fly you know
0: yeah right so originally (laughs) originally from philly how long you been in portland i've been in portland since man it's already 2022
1: for it'll be 14 years in august so 2008 i was uh in eighth grade And I moved out here with my mom and one of my siblings. Okay. And my mom had a couple of relatives out here. So they were like, why don't you move to Portland? And I was like, I visited twice. Mom, that sounds like a terrible idea. (laughs) And it was at first, but then we just stuck it out. And God made things happen in ways that we could only imagine and only experience had we come out here. So, Mm. you know, He changed the trajectory of not only my life, but my mom's life and my brother's life. Mm. And, yeah, that's led it to where we are today, clearly. Clearly, I stayed, so I must have liked something about it. There you it. Go. Something about it. Yeah. You know, I'm grown now, so I could just leave, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you can come down here to sunny Southern California. Exactly. Mm, don't mm, have to put up with I, any more of that rain. Hey, I heard it never rains in Southern California.
0: Hardly. You know? You know? Like, not very often. Not very often. And then when it does, everyone loses their mind. They don't know what to do. Um, like the
1: sky is falling,
0: literally. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And you're married, right? You married, you got one one kid, two kids.
1: Yeah, I have, my wife's name is Jasmine and we've been married for five years in June. We met through my best friend who happens to be her twin brother and how that whole thing came about is crazy, but it worked out. <laughs> so, and uh, we awesome. have a two year old son named Ezekiel and we're just thinking about what does it look like to expand the family and try to go for another okay. baby. So there you go. we keep ourselves busy clearly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 So I want to talk about, you know, the podcast you guys are doing and, mm-hmm. and all of that, but you said something, um, you know, we're a part of this missional labs, uh, program incubator mm-hmm. with Tyler, uh, Prebe. what's up, Tyler. Um, and we were the first, the first day everyone was going around, like introducing themselves and I came to you and you were like, what's up? My name's Akeem. Uh, came out of the cult of black identity or something Mm. like that. A black identity cult. Black identity cult. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. what is that exactly? Because I just listened to another podcast you were on and you touched on it briefly, but I don't know. Give us like a, I don't know, like an explanation of of that, (laughs) the history and what brought you to where you are now. Yeah. So
1: the black identity cult amalgamation, whatever you want to call it, uh, it's called the 5% Nation, a.k.a. the Nation of Gods and Earths, and it broke off from what uh, is known as the Nation of Islam, which is what Malcolm X and a bunch mm-hmm. of other folks were into back in the 60s and 50s, um, and they broke off from a couple other things that actually go back to a Pan-African uh, movement from a guy named Marcus Garvey, who was actually a Christian, I believe, so how everything kind of goes from there is is crazy, but... Essentially, what I grew up in was this belief that black people are the original peoples of the earth. Um, we are the supreme race. Um, what is some other stuff? Man, white people are the creation of some evil mad scientist named Yakub, which is a play on Jacob of the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this thing called the supreme alphabet, the supreme mathematics. And basically, black people, like black men in particular, are like Allah incarnate and then black women are kind of like herbs. So you got like God and herbs, they create stuff. So it's kind of nuts. I grew up being taught like, yeah, you can call yourself God and that be accurate because you are a God. It even says it in the Bible. Christianity is the white man's religion, all of that stuff. So that's what I got, you know, introduced into into the world into. (laughs) And to go from that to following Jesus, And then following Jesus within a predominantly white context in a predominantly white city was like ironic. So (laughs) I felt like God had to break off a lot of my preconceived notions about not only the faith that we subscribe to, but also my preconceived notions about white folks, about what does it mean to be black, all of this stuff, and started to give me a more holistic view on people. Wow. Yeah, break off some of the... Wow. it It was nuts. So I grew up in that and then came to faith at 17. Okay. Um through young life. Uh, cool. and then oh, I wow. met this guy. Yeah. I met this guy named Phil Zahn. He was the area director for the suburb that I lived in and I moved all over the city until I got to what's now, uh, to what's called Beaverton. That's the suburb I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Moved to Beaverton with Beaverton high school was just kind of filling out, you know, the city. Like I'm not from there. I'm from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. <laughs> and I'm used to being around folks that look like me or a Latino. Um, and God did some crazy stuff, y'all. Like I got stories for days, but that's generally what I grew up in and where I am wow. now. So I hope I hope that made sense. Give so-
0: us <laughs> give us one of the stories. Yeah, I want to hear.
1: Yeah, so I remember vividly, uh, I was sitting in Young Life, and Phil gave this talk about Jamba Juice. He was like, "Your life's kind of like a smoothie." This is the short version. <laughs> Your life's like a smoothie. I'm like, you already got my attention. I'm like, I'm <laughs> And he's like, throughout your life, you put in ingredients that don't belong, and it kind of makes the smoothie toxic. Jesus wants to take that smoothie back, renew it, not throw it away, but just renew it so it can't be tainted anymore. And I was mm-hmm. like, yo, whatever that is, I want that. Not only do I like Jamba Juice, <laughs> but I want an untainted smoothie. And we met Those, up.
0: You, you know, youth pastors, man, they have some really good sermon <laughs> they, illustrations, they crush don't it. they?
1: <laughs> yo, he was, it was a really good example. and. I remember so vividly, we're sitting in the Dairy Queen and he's like, yo, I want to walk with you. And I didn't know Christianese at that time. So I was like, Mm -hmm. where are we going? And he's like, no, 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 no. (laughs) Like, I want to do life with you. And I'm like, I don't know. I still don't know what that means, but Mm -hmm. okay. And that man pursued me ever since. And we're still close to this day. Wow. But the story I want to get to really quick is all of that led up to me deep diving into the faith. And I remember going to Young Life camp that following summer, and this was going into my senior year of high school. And the speaker at the camp was given, uh, it was like what's called the cross talk. And we're watching the passion of the Christ talk about intensity. We're watching the passion of the Christ when Jesus is being crucified. And we're all sitting there like, holy smokes. We got like 800 mm-hmm. high school kids looking at this super intense, gory movie. And then we get told, okay, go out into the field and just sit there in silence for 15 minutes. And we're like, and do what? He's like, no, 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 like, just go out there and just and think and contemplate what you just witnessed. And we're like, oh, okay, whatever. So as soon as we get out there, there's lightning strikes all across the sky. The prayer before we got sent out was for God to show up. And for 15 minutes, the sky is being lit up with lightning strikes. And I'm wow. like, First of all, this is dangerous for us to be out here, but also (laughs) there's no way that this is a coincidence. Mm -hmm. So we're all sitting out, and then the bell rings and it stops. And that was the moment, not because I needed a miracle or whatever you want to call it to believe that what I was being convicted of was true, but it was that moment that sealed the deal for me where I was like, okay, he answered a prayer and I just witnessed it. Okay, this God has to be real. Real. Mm. I believed it for a little bit, for a couple months now but I'm really in and
2: mm-hmm. yeah, man, that was to experience that so early on was crazy. What was it like leaving the five percenters and becoming a Christian? Like, was your family super deep into the, that yeah. culture? Like what? Yeah. What was that like? Yeah.
1: So my dad, um, kind of, it's like that type of, um, yeah, that, that black identity code is really prevalent within like nineties hip hop groups in early 2000 hip hop groups. So if you listen to like Wu Tang, like a lot of mm. them are 5%ers, if not all of them. And if you listen to their lyrics, you're like, ah, I see what they doing. But it's not like, oh, if you leave this cult, like we're gonna excommunicate you from our family. It's right. a different type of belief system. So my dad was into all of that. My mom, once they split, she went back to her roots of uh, following Jesus. So my dad and I always had like a friction in our conversations about faith, and culture and worldview and all of that stuff. And to this day, like we'll still get in a tick for tat, but not Mm -hmm. like argumentative or in a bad way, Mm -hmm. but it was really strenuous on our relationship, I think for a good two, three years for sure. And then my cousins would just, you know, they more converted to a traditional Islamic faith. I think they went to like Sunni, but still would question a lot of the things that we both grew up or we all grew up in,
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, but definitely would question me. Like, why are you subscribing to that white faith and blah, 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 blah. So it really sent me on a trail of how do I study the history of this faith that I'm now subscribing to? Mm-hmm. And what does that mean for people that look like me too? Mm. What, what were some of the
2: answers that you came up
1: with there? Yeah. I learned about a lot of the church fathers um, were people from Northern Africa and around the Mediterranean. And I read the Bible for once when I'm going, yo, the people in this book are like brown skinned people. Mm-hmm. And that means something. Not that they got to all look like me, but they got some melanin in their skin. I mean, everybody got melanin. But I was like, <laughs> oh, like, and then I'm, I'm reading about people from Kush. Or I'm reading about people from, excuse me, <clears throat> from the Far East. And then I'm, I'm, I'm learning about the Roman uh, Empire and how the Roman Empire was actually multi-ethnic because it spread all over the freaking world. So that in and of itself made me go, oh my, this, it historically can't be a white man's religion or a white people's religion. It it can't be. That is actually, um, how do I say this lightly? I think that's, I just think that's stupid. (laughs) Let me just leave it. I just think that's stupid. But once I started to learn that stuff, it made me have such a confidence that this faith is really, truly for all peoples everywhere. Mm -hmm. And when I learned about the Abrahamic promise, how it was this this promise that God made to Abraham was supposed to go out to be a blessing to the nations. Mm-hmm. And then I learned what nations means, mm. it's not like country states, it's like it's ethnicity. So mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, shoot, mm-hmm. we're good. We're in the green. We're in the green. <laughs> that doesn't mean that we have to ignore, you know, church history mm-hmm. and kind of some of the things that happen between people groups. You know, especially as the faith is being weaponized or utilized for whatever reasons, but it is to say, at the essence, you know, the way of Jesus is for everybody. Mm-hmm. Amen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, I hope I'm not going on too long of tangents, but
2: no, we're here for all the tangents, bro. Oh yeah, that's great. <laughs> this, this podcast exists for the tangents. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Hey, we're going vast faith. You know, that's <laughs> exactly. right. That's right. Exactly. We're talking about it, all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um. So, all right. So you meet Jesus as a teenager. Mm-hmm. and you kind of are completely radically changed which is cool because that's like my story also just kind of zero to a hundred over the course of a mm-hmm. couple of months just like moments of it and um yeah. then for me it was like this just fast track into the things of god right like mm-hmm. head first into i went from like i don't even think i believe in god to like i'm gonna be a youth pastor over the course <laughs> of about six weeks um <laughs> you know um so what that's what happened what happened after that so like through and high school. A Pentecostal school. youth pastor. And Pentecostal at that. youth pastor at that, exactly. Let's so, oh, you know. took it up a notch. Okay. You know, I was like, I was like I'm going to stand up on my lunch table this week. And uh, did you ever do it? I did. <laughs> you did not. I did. Yes, you I did. You never stood up on your lunch yes, table. Yes, I did. What? <laughs> 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 I Yes, I did. Bro, tell a more. I had a, I had a Bible club. I did the, the whole thing. You man. stood up on your lunch table mm-hmm. in the middle of lunch? Yeah. Yes. What what happened? (laughs) I mean, it was one of those things. I I look back on it and I was like, I've known you for like 15 years and you've never told me this story. Yeah, it was like we, it it was similar to some, I'd come back from some youth camp, you know, and like, there was like some kid speaker there that had done the same thing. I showed the video Mm. or whatever. And I actually (laughs) think funny enough, funny (laughs) enough, uh, uh, Judah Smith was the speaker at this youth camp and he told the story of him doing it in high school.
2: Oh, so you're trying to be like Judah.
0: And so I was like, "Well, man, <laughs> I mean, if this is what you do, this is what you do." Do yeah. it. And um, yeah. to this day, my friends kind of still make fun of me of it because I think people thought it was kind of a joke, right? A little bit. Right. And so I kind of got you know like three or four minutes into it, and it was like.
2: You felt embarrassed. Yeah, and then like tried to kind of like... You were like Peter walking on the waves. Basically. You looked down. Yeah. (laughs) You started
0: sinking. Yeah, exactly. And then sort of turned it into... But at least you
3: walked. Yeah, I I think I turned it into
0: like... I think I turned it into like, and we do a Bible study every Wednesday morning. See you at (laughs) 7 a.m. There, bye. That's how you landed the plane? (laughs) Yeah, bro, it was... I just... I just, you got to have
2: some kind of call to action. Every Pentecostal
0: preacher has a call to action. I ended it like basically I had everybody stand up. I waved my hand and they all fell down in the lunchroom. That was how it
2: ended. Mm. Um, I commend you for that, dude. That's incredible. You know? Wow. You know? I never Look did at that. You. It shakes yeah. you, man.
0: Look you at know? you. You know, exactly.
2: Ready to stand um, up
1: on a table at any moment. Let's at a
2: moment's that. notice.
0: <laughs> and probably, yeah, who even knows what I said. Oh, man. I'm sure it was um, really theologically astute. Oh, gosh. Oh yeah, man. Okay, so your story, you get saved and then what? Like you're in Portland. Yeah. Did you kind of go I I want to follow Jesus and I want to be in ministry? What what's mm. that process been like? Yeah, so
1: I think after I got back from camp, um I got plugged into a local church in a suburb of Portland and then I was I was thrown into the like fire in a good way. Thrown into the fire as a student leader at the youth ministry that I was now a part of um, at this local church. Got involved in student leadership. From there, got thrown on stage and was like, okay, like mm-hmm. you should teach. And I was like, teach who? Like, teach, <laughs> teach your peers. I was like, teach them what? My first conversation, this, I mean, my first uh, teaching, I'll never forget this, was about Jesus, MLK, and racism. I was like, <laughs> a way to start off, bro. <laughs> so I'm like reading, my, my youth pastor kind of gave me some notes to kind of make my own. So I'm like trying not to read off of the script, but also talk on the fly and also not like shaking my boots. (laughs) But that kind of gave me not because I'm standing up there going like, oh, yeah, I feel so cool. But there was something about articulating the way of Jesus to my peers and seeing them actually resonate while also sharing pieces of my story while addressing something problematic and showing how Jesus is the remedy to that. And I said, "Okay, I think. I think there's something here. So I stayed in student ministry. Then I was told, you should become a youth pastor one day. I mm-hmm. was like, oh, here we go. So I went from the zero to 100, just like you, Mike. And I think after, after I graduated high school, I was like, I don't know what to do. So I'm going to just go to college and go from there. My sophomore year, I become the student chaplain of my, my um, college. It was the first black person and the youngest person to ever do the mm-hmm. job at the same time. And that was like, oh, we making history here too. So this is fun. So I'm helping a pastor over my peers at school. My senior year in college, I get a phone call from a guy that I knew who started a nonprofit, but was also a pastor. And he goes, yo, we started this campus, of this church called Imago Day. Would you want to be down to start the youth ministry at this campus? And I'm like, like it from scratch. And he was like, yeah, I was like, bro, I'm only like 21. What do I know? And he was like, come on out here. So long story short, that's how I got
0: involved in vocational ministry. And it took off from there, man. So that's awesome.
1: Yeah.
0: And and are you still doing student ministry or what are you doing now ministry wise?
1: Yeah. So I was involved in youth ministry in particular, um for about mm, I think vocationally I could say Four and a half years, and then I got into College A's Ministry, still student ministry. College A's mm-hmm. Ministry for about a year or some change. But while I was doing youth ministry, I was also like a communities pastor and on the teaching team. So it was a whole uh, concoction of roles. But went to this church called Westside, which is the church that I actually started following Jesus at. But then it was called Solid Rock. This guy named John Mark Comer was over three different churches. Mm-hmm. It was all one church. Long story, but I ended up stepping away from a uh, vocational ministry this past August uh, to take a career in biblical studies at Bible Project where I get to now be a professional nerd, you know? So <laughs> I can't complain, man. That's awesome. <laughs> so yeah, it's been a journey, but I will say to, to see how God has formed me over the years, formed me alongside of people that I was participating in their formation Has hands down been one of the best experiences of my life. The most challenging, the most frustrating, the most upsetting, but yet the most joyful, rewarding, Mm -hmm. um, informational thing that I've ever experienced outside of being a husband and a father. Mm -hmm. Mm
4: -hmm.
2: (laughs) Sounds like ministry. Amen. Come on, somebody. Come on. on. So you host this podcast called Reconstruct. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I think you guys just concluded your first season, and that is uh in connection to i guess the the massive movement of deconstructing that we see mm-hmm. um probably particularly among millennials and some gen z yeah um so what gave you the the desire to to do that and was there any like personal atta- attachment to that was that a process that you went through yeah yeah absolutely
1: thanks for asking. yeah thanks for asking so I always wanted to start a podcast when I was like 25. I was like, yo, it'd be kind of dope to have a podcast. I don't know what I'm going to talk about, though. I'm not that interested. So (laughs) I ended up uh, having this idea, but I just pocketed it. And then my friend Keith and a guy that we were mentoring named Tom, who then became a friend of mine, uh, they were like, yeah, we're we're thinking about starting a podcast. I was like, about what? And they were like, reconstructing faith on the other side of deconstructing. Um, I said, well, let's, let's do that. Let me jump in. Can I? And we ended up saying, okay, so what are we actually gearing this towards? We're not here to condemn uh, deconstruction. We're not here to determine what it looks like uh, definitively to build faith again on the other side of deconstruction. We're actually three dudes who've been through the journey. And on a personal note, the reason why I'm like, man, it would be helpful. Everybody, I feel like, hmm, I think at some point everybody deconstructs something that they've grown up believing or they've come to believe. The question is, what does it look like on the other side? And what are you gonna reconstruct on top of? And for us, it was like, yo, what would it look like for us to walk alongside other people in conversation and say, we wanna rebuild life on the teachings of Jesus the rabbi, not based off of a church tradition, not based off of our preconceived notions about theological convictions. We wanna build off of his actual teachings and then go from there. And that's not to say that those other things are wrong or bad. We just want to go, what did Rabbi Jesus actually teach? How did he live out those teachings? And then how did he commission his people to follow in that? And what does that look like to do that in our context today? So I had to go, this will kind of reminisce uh, based off of what I was sharing earlier. I went through a phase of, can I be black and a Christian? And this isn't to make this whole conversation about ethnicity and faith, but that's really the the crux that I had. So I had such a strong, um, I'm going to phrase it, has such a strong sway into the faith. And then there came the whole mundaneness of faith. And mm-hmm. I got bombarded with questions from relatives, from friends. But I'm also reading these weird video or watching these weird videos on YouTube. Like Christianity is a copycat religion of Egyptology and all of this stuff. And I'm like, mm-hmm. man, like, OK, so there's that. And I got to deal with that. Can, then I'm seeing all of the cultural conflicts that are starting to arise within evangelical spaces and what have you. I'm going, why is there so much resistance to talking about ethnic tensions and ethnic reconciliation and all of that stuff? Ken, is this like what were my relatives correct? Like, is this antithetical to my culture? Is this antithetical to my being? <clears throat> and I had to wrestle through being black and a Christian isn't an oxymoron at all. Mm-hmm. that's it, this isn't antithetical. And that's a whole nother conversation. But um, I went through that. Keith went through dealing with super, super, super conservative background and then kind of moving to Portland where it's super, super, super progressive and kind of getting jostled with that. So he had mm-hmm. to move through some things. And Tom kind of had this idolization. I don't want to say idolization, actually. He might listen to this and be like, bro, you done <laughs> chopped me up all wrong. <laughs> um, but he had to work through um, the ideals of America. And that's not to shoot down our country. I love our country. Uh, but he had this view about America and then... All of these things start rising to the surface, especially within the last five, seven years. And he's like, whoa, I have to work through so many different preconceived notions about the nation that I love. So we've all gone through and then other people go through deconstruction for whatever reasons. But we do want to see, you know, a, a new generation arise up that mm-hmm. really is attached to Rabbi Jesus and his people can't separate the two in my judgment. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: So I I hope this is, I hope this is making sense, man. (laughs) No, it does. Yeah. Yeah. I I find, uh, I generally, and this is part of my personality. I have a, I have a challenging personality, Hakeem. That's okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. But I I find that um, I have an aversion to the word deconstruction when it's Mm -hmm. used in, uh, in Christian circles a lot of times, because I don't think we actually mean, deconstruction. I think we mean something more akin to just learning. Mm. And part of the learning process is unlearning things that we were taught that ended up being wrong. Mm. Um, or uh maybe we were only given certain aspects of a truth or something that we believe, whether mm. that be about a nation or a you know, about mm. conservative values or whatever it is. Yeah. And we learn that there's it's more multifaceted than that. Mm. Um and so I, I generally shy away from the term uh, deconstruction because, mm. when, uh, because it's such a technical term and it means something yeah. very specific. Mm-hmm. It's very yeah. philosophical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I think what Christians often mean by deconstruction today is not what Derrida meant when he coined the term deconstruction or what a lot of the mm. people who kind of walk in his footsteps mean yeah. when they describe... They're talking about the interplay between like what a text says and what a text means Mm -hmm. and you know um whether or not language can have any i guess truly like firm solid rock meaning or is it ultimately just yeah you know something more postmodern yeah would you say that um would you say that there's any caution that you would give to christians as they're kind of approaching because it's very in vogue the term is very in vogue mm-hmm. and my i guess my concern is pastoral right like i'm a local church pastor yeah and so would you say that there's any con- caution that you would give to christians as they're kind of wa- working through how to undo some of the things that they've learned that are not biblical Hmm. Mm. yeah yeah I have a couple thoughts
1: (laughs) for sure. I think the biggest (laughs) one though is my biggest caution probably is not to go through this type of process of unlearning and relearning by yourself. I think that's a very dangerous, or it can be, it can be very dangerous for one's faith or one's process because in isolate, like no human is designed to live in isolation, especially when they're going through something tough or going through something that's kind of, shattering categories that they held Mm -hmm. so firmly. Mm -hmm. And I can speak from experience, Mm -hmm. um, but when you do so in community, I think you create a space where not only does it protect you from, I don't know, it could be whatever that might, you know, hinder your process, but I think communal life is what we're designed for. And I think when we go through, not crises, I don't want to call all, you know, unlearn, you know what I mean? But Mm -hmm. I don't want to call all of that like, oh, it's a crisis whenever you go through that. Mm -hmm. Whenever you're going through a hard time, I think it's best to do that in community. Um, Yeah, that's probably my biggest caution, because what I've seen and what I have been really tempted to do, I almost left the faith because I was doing so on my own, Mm -hmm. trying to figure out every category that is being bumped up against. It's like, okay, you're saying this is a copycat faith. What books do I need to read? But I'm not having any conversation with anybody who who may have ever heard that. Right. To help balance out and create some nuance in many of my conclusions. And not, not to say that my uh, my working through it on my own was completely void because it wasn't like I actually learned some stuff that gives me some tools to be like, no, nah, that, that's a false premise. It's a false statement. And I can stand on some facts behind that. Um, but it was so. It was so close for me, Um were so tempting for me just to be like, man, this is too complicated. Mm-hmm. The way of Jesus doesn't make sense for somebody that looks like me, or it doesn't make sense for the communities that I've come from, or it doesn't make sense for blah, 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 blah. But then later on, after I worked through that process, I started feeding, um, not feeding, I started asking questions to those who have walked the faith longer than me, who come from similar backgrounds, but yet were still convicted about this man named Jesus. And I'm going, well, what made you hang on? Mm-hmm. And I think those conversations continue to solidify uh, me during my process of reconstructing. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that I'm done. You know what I mean? Like, there's always a growth and progression in our development as disciples of Jesus. Reed. Um, So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Probably my biggest caution, you know, don't do it alone. Yeah, don't do it alone. Mm-hmm. That was a long way to say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, I. It's interesting because I um like it's sort of you said like the word deconstruction can now mean so many different things right yeah. mm-hmm. um and hakeem you're talking about not doing it alone not doing it in community um with other people but i think what i'm seeing and again same local church pastor or doing it in community doing it in yep. community yeah so what i'm mm-hmm. seeing local church pastor is uh and I guess there are some of those that are saying, okay, deconstru- I'm, I'm deconstructing my faith in a sense of like theologically and I'm trying to better mm-hmm. understand all of this. What yeah. I seem to see a lot of, and maybe this is why you guys have sort of talked about on the other side of deconstruction, meaning I'm I'm not deconstructing necessarily my faith, but some of the things that were um, kind of around my faith that I grew yeah. up in, right? Like Like yeah. my day deconstruction was like, sitting on a roof, smoking a pipe, reading Donald Miller and Rob Bell. Like that was deconstruction. Like we thought we were deconstructing, right? Now deconstruction is I'm leaving. I say I'm leaving the faith, but really I'm kind of leaving the institution of church for X, Y, Z. So people are using that as like, that is their deconstruction. Mm -hmm. Therefore they are removing themselves completely from Mm -hmm. any of that community.
2: Well, I think what Mm it is, is it's a, it's a, a general aversion uh, uh, towards certainty. And I think that's the issue with deconstruction. And I like, uh, whether you're using the language of, of unlearning and learning or deconstructing and reconstructing, what we're, what we're saying together is that the mind can be open, but then the mind needs, needs to close again on something. Mm. Mm. Uh, we, mm. and, and so as a Christian, I think it's okay to have a reasonable amount of uh, of desire for certainty on on certain things. Yeah. Um, and that's not always the path, though, that people go. You, so mm-hmm. A lot of times when they, quote unquote, deconstruct, or when they actually deconstruct, they end up arriving in this place of just mm-hmm. permanent openness, and they're they're too afraid to be certain mm-hmm. about mm. issues, whether that's the resurrection of Christ, or whether that's about a biblical sex ethic or whatever the the mm-hmm. subject is mm. um, because certainty is kind of seen as uh, today, almost immoral. If I'm certain about, you know, that this is true, that means I'm certain that what you believe over here is not true yeah. um, and that doesn't vibe too well in, in our postmodern culture. And so <clears throat> mm. I guess that's kind of like the, the, the danger that I see for people is, um, having an unnecessary aversion towards certainty. Mm-hmm. Because I think we're actually, we're, we're, we're made to be certain on some things. Mm. Does that make yeah, sense? I mean,
1: yeah, I mean, even, even the thought of I'm certain that I'm uncertain is a certainty. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I don't, I don't disagree that there are things that we are certain. So everybody has convictions about something and everybody has a line that they draw with whatever conviction or uh, moral act or what have you. And it's like, why do you draw that line? It's because you have a certainty about that thing, right? So yeah, I don't don't disagree with that premise. The question is, what are the reasons behind why people are deconstructing or unlearning their traditions, right? Because I think about, Mike, you just said something about they're deconstructing the things around the faith but mm-hmm. then that can also lead to different pathways. And I'm wondering what is the basis? And I think what we're trying to discover in conversations that we just filmed for season two or recorded for season two and what we will continue to do is try to get at the root of like, okay, why is this taking place? Mm-hmm. And then what have you done to cultivate um, a new practice of faith? And it's it goes to different directions and it leads to different things. And, yeah, I don't know. I guess that's just the journey of figuring out what this I don't know what this, this faith can lead to. And mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. So I'm like trying to think on the fly too. Um,
2: yeah. I mean, I think yeah. when you're, it, it, it really comes down to like what your, your foundations are, right? Like yeah, I presuppose that the Bible is true. Mm-hmm. So if I'm, if I'm deconstructing my church tradition mm-hmm. and I, and I want to reconstruct or I'm mm-hmm. unlearning my tradition and I want to learn the truth, I'm mm-hmm. going to go to what I presuppose is true. Mm-hmm. You know, you said it in, in a much, much more, uh, in a way that, that I think modern day believers are, can, uh, they're more drawn towards learning the teachings of the rabbi Jesus. Mm-hmm. How did he live those out and how did he commission those who followed him to live those out as well? And how do we do that in our context today? Mm-hmm. Uh, on a, on a reductionistic level, you, you could say, what is, you know, what does the Bible teach? You know, as right. long as we're then understanding, okay, how do I read the Bible? What's a proper hermeneutic, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. And so, but that that presupposition is really necessary in order to reconstruct something firm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. For me to kind of like uh, to build a house that I can live within. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and that, so. Let me say this, Jake. Let me yeah, just say I, this real quick. And
1: I'll say this boldly because I already know uh, I have some folks that disagree with me on this (laughs) Uh, conversation that I've had. But I genuinely believe if uh, if there's a a tearing down, for the lack of a better phrase, there's like a deconstructing of a house. I genuinely believe that outside of Jesus of Nazareth and his way of life and his rubric of life, every other foundation that you build upon will cause your house to fall at some point. It might stand for 30, 40 years, but I do think it'll crash at some point. Mm -hmm. So for me, the presupposition is that Jesus is truly the way to life and life abundant. And I don't mean that like, oh, go to heaven when you die. Whatever, I'm talking about like here and now and what is to come. He Mm -hmm. is the route, the rubric of life that leads to, um, to our flourishing ultimately. And that's not to say that other things and other pathways don't make you feel good, that you can't experience joy in, that you can't experience and grow in love. I'm just saying Jesus is the best way or that mm-hmm. he is the ultimate way of life. And I'm just going to leave that there on the table and let people discover that for themselves because I think I was I was actually teaching at a college um, in in Newburgh, which is a, a suburb off of Portland as well. And I said, well, there's there's really only two ways that you can go about this. You can trust Jesus and what he says or you mm-hmm. don't, Right. And there's only one way to find out if what he said is actually true. Mm-hmm. If who he claims to be is actually true, and that's to trust him. Or you can go about your business and follow another rabbi. Everybody is a disciple of something or somebody, mm-hmm. everybody. Mm-hmm. The question is who's your teacher and what are they teaching you? And I was given prime examples. I'm like, yo, this isn't to spit ill on the, gra- on the graves of people that I love, but I have friends and relatives who have died this past year Because they were taught in the streets or under the rabbi of drugs or this, that, and the third. And that's not to try to create some extreme example or some straw man or whatever. I'm just saying what I've actually witnessed and what I was tempted by is to subscribe to this way of life. And it led them to death, literally, not just in this, you know what I mean? We go to Mm -hmm. the spiritual really quickly. I'm talking about literally these people are no longer here. And I'm going, dang, what is it about that? that that teacher of street life or the folks that taught them how to run game on the streets or whatever. I hope this is making sense. Yeah, What I'm really trying to say is this, um, had it not been for Jesus and me seeing his way of life as truly good for me and those around me, I have no idea where I would be. And I know that can be really cliche to say, But had I not done that, I could actually be in jail. Mm -hmm. I could be in the grave because I come from the same environments that the Mm -hmm. folks that are in the grave right now came from. That's not that's not fluffy, duffy, Jesusy stuff to me. That's real life. No, Mm -hmm. this man actually changed my life. Mm -hmm. And I refuse not to uh, to um, encourage others to follow this. I think it leads to actual life. Mm -hmm. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I got, I get a little, passionate. no, it's good. I love it.
2: I love it. And, um, yeah, I guess in connection to that, right? Like you're, that you're making a choice to submit yourself to the teachings of a man, uh, mm-hmm. whose teachings are recorded by other men mm-hmm. who wrote what we call the new Testament. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times those teachings for us as humans, they rub up against us the wrong way. Like, I don't, my, my humanity, you know, my flesh doesn't like what Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't like what Paul calls the true marks of a Christian in, in Romans Mm -hmm. from a fleshly perspective, but I submit to it because I believe it to be true. Yeah, Um, And I I think that's a really important thing that our generation has to like reconcile Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. is like, you're not going to like all of this. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, we can try all kinds of fancy ways to like modernize it and contextualize it and make it. And this is the danger of deconstruction to me is Mm. the, the meaning, the meaning can be endless. I see. Because that is what, that's what deconstruction Mm. is kind of getting at. It's like, here's what the text says, but the meaning of it is, is not necessarily what I read it to be.
4: Mm
3: -hmm. It's Mm.
2: it's, it's rooted in Mm postmodernism. And so I think it's helping our generation come back to the point of like, this guy said something and he meant something when he said it. Mm -hmm. So how do Mm -hmm. we best get at that meaning so that we can submit ourselves to it and and live by it?
4: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Mike. No, I just, it, it makes me think about, you know, you're, you're sort of talking about the reality of what your life could have been had you not had this encounter with this Mm -hmm. man named Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're sort of talking about like, yeah, the when this man says something, he means it, right? Mm-hmm. All of mm-hmm. that to me is hard to separate. And here's where I go as a, as someone who got saved very radically in a Holy Spirit encounter, right? Where mm-hmm. there have been times since I've been saved where I've, I don't, again, I don't know if deconstructed is the right word, but I've been ready to throw out everything I had ever been taught.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And there were times in my life where I went the exact opposite Of what i knew god had for me but it always went back to this maybe like it went back to with you where it's like i could have been x y or z for me it went back to like man i had this encounter with the holy spirit that Mm -hmm. i can actually never wrap my head around not being real right Mm -hmm. and so so i go back to those moments moments where i've been like wait a minute do i really believe x y or z or do i really like um this institution you name the thing that i wanted to deconstruct it always went back to yeah but i had this encounter that i can never ignore Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and so i don't know like i i hear these stories about people deconstructing and walking away from the faith because of you know x y or z and and i my and i almost like i i almost don't even want to say it but it's like i found myself going did did they ever like where was that encounter with god for them Right. So like you can sit here and go, this man said this, it's true with conviction that you have no doubt. in. you can go, Hakeem, man, I just I can I know where I could have been if it wasn't for this guy. And I just wonder, Mm -hmm. like, for these millions of people or thousands of people that we hear about deconstructing, why did that never get solidified with them? Like, why can't, like, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, well, that gets into a theological conversation. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, uh-oh, it, uh-oh, <laughs> um, uh-oh. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I just, I, I mean, I, it's just crazy to me to hear you, Hakeem, say, this is why I always go back to this first principle of who Jesus is.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: He is life. Mm-hmm. And you can mm-hmm. say with such conviction, when he says something, he means it and it's true. Yeah.
2: Um, I'm saying the same thing Hakeem is saying. Yeah. I'm just getting at the layer I'm getting at the mm-hmm. uncomfortable layer beneath. It's like, <laughs> I, he is life because the Bible says he is life. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and then when I take that at, at, at its word and I have a relationship with mm-hmm. him, that I actually experience the life that comes from him. But yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't know that if the Bible didn't tell me. Right.
1: Yeah. And, yeah. and it, it, all of this, what you just shared, well, both of you just shared, and what I just was talking about, it makes me think about Peter, right? I'm questioning, not questioning, but I'm asking... Maybe that's the same thing. I'm asking the question: What made <laughs> <laughs> what made what made Peter go back to fishing after he encountered Jesus for three and a half years or so? Right. right? Mm-hmm. What made you go? Uh, I'm going to go back to what I know. Mm-hmm. What What is that? Mm-hmm. And is that similar to what some folks are experiencing? you mm-hmm. may have encountered Jesus mm-hmm. and. You know, I know that can get into a whole theological conversation, <laughs> but you may, you may have actually encountered Jesus mm-hmm. in a variety of ways, but yet still go, this isn't it for me, chief. Yep. Um, and I'm, I'm actually piecing out on that, that, and what is preventing me from doing that? Am I actually, and I, I'll say this, it sounds like a direct quote from a rapper named KB. It's my dude, <laughs> by the way. Where he said, my biggest fear in life is walking away from Jesus. That is my biggest fear in life. I can still feel these convictions today like, yo, my life could have been different, Mm -hmm. but I don't exempt myself from actually walking away from this man that has Mm -hmm. actually changed my life. Mm -hmm. The question is, why am I still compelled to him? Mm -hmm. And this goes back to that same teaching I was given at the college where I said, I'm compelled to him for these reasons. The Mm -hmm. question is, are you compelled for whatever reasons he may be revealing to you? But there's only one way to find out if what he said is true, which you find in the Bible, but also... (laughs) You have to experience it. You have to live it out. If you mm-hmm. look, the Sermon on the Mount is pivotal for me. I've underappreciated the Sermon on the Mount for much of my walk with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until the recent, like two, maybe two, three years where I'm like, yo, this was game changing. Mm-hmm. But when he talks about, let me let me not even pull it up. There's a, there's, <laughs> there's a bunch of things that he talks about in there. But when I go, huh, there's something adulterous that I'm doing If I look at another, if I look at another human being, like if I look at a woman lustfully and I'm married, if I look at a woman lustfully, there's something that I'm doing in that lust that's adulterous. Mm -hmm. I can believe that or I could not. Mm -hmm. Or I could I could say, yo, uh, there's something that actually does to me that distorts who God has made me to be. If I do that type of thing or I can go about my life and continue to do me. You know what I mean? Like, ooh, I like how she look or I like how she look. I'm going to go about this.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: There's only one way to actually know and that's to experience it. Right. So I don't know what it is outside of. I don't know what it is about this man from Nazareth that is claimed to be alive today mm-hmm. that I believe and actually put my trust in. I don't know, man. Sorry, let me just cut my cut myself off there. I just, I don't know what it is about this man that continues to compel me. I don't have the words to describe. My prayer though, out of my inability to describe is that I pray other people will be compelled mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. And that's all I can hang on to. Can't force anybody to not deconstruct. Can't force anybody to come to the faith. I can't force myself to stay here. Mm-hmm. But what I can do is say I trust what is written down in these texts. I'm going to live by them. And I pray to God that I'm
2: doing something that's true. Mm -hmm. I I think what's helpful is coming to terms with the fact that um, just because we have bad experiences Mm -hmm. or just because, you know, the trimmings and trappings of our traditions let us down in various ways. We have to be humble enough to go to the word and look at it for for ourselves, but not by ourselves. Mm-hmm. I think is an important distinction. That's maybe another way of talking about the process of learning in community. Mm. Is um we, you know, we have a whole we have a very large group of YouTube Christians who are just so used to having the Bible spoon fed to them, you know, a few verses a Sunday on a, Mm. on a message, um, YouTube Christians. (laughs) And then when catastrophes hit, you know, Mm. those, that's not going to do it for you. Mm -hmm. Mm. And so And even, you know, before YouTube was a thing, you could have grown up in church your entire life, but it was never more than just a a mini meal on once a week on a Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. And so it was never something you did for yourself. Um, And I I think that if we're humble enough to go, um, other people are allowed to other people are allowed to let me down mm-hmm. without me kind of walking away from the whole thing mm-hmm. um, and give, give people the the grace to fail us um, because we fail people all the time, mm-hmm. but maintain a belief that Jesus isn't going to fail us. And so if we come back to his words and submit ourselves to them, then there is that abundant life that mm-hmm. we desperately desire and crave yeah
1: yeah it's like it's like jesus will never fail you but he won't meet all your expectations you know Mm -hmm. think about the people that witnessed this man in like real time had all these anticipations about what a messiah would be like what Mm -hmm. he would do uh, who he would hang around all of that stuff and a lot of those expectations weren't met and even some of the prophecies haven't been fulfilled yet cuz he ain't come back to finish the job right right so
3: mm-hmm.
1: it's like so but he's faithful to never fail us and the question is what's the difference between those two mm-hmm. and that's the that's the journey right jesus will never fail me and that is something i i'm glad that you said that bro it was actually a good reminder to me jesus will never fail me or those around like his his family his body his church he will never fail but we can place expectations upon a, upon him that he's never promised to mm-hmm. to live up to yeah. or to me. Mm-hmm. That sounds yeah. weird, but you know what I mean. No, he has <laughs> no
2: intention of fulfilling every single whim and desire that we have.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: it's yeah. like I want
1: Jesus to vote like me. Like right. that's mm-hmm. an expectation, right? That yeah, a lot of us may have thought or have or may still have.
3: Mm-hmm. And it's
1: like, nah, bro, he's not interested in that. Mm-hmm. Like he has a different way of ruling and exercising. Authority than what we Mm -hmm. might be accustomed to, you know. Mm -hmm. That's just one example, and that's not even a throw a bomb out there. That's just an example. (laughs) I don't think Jesus votes. Yeah. Hey, look, look, man, I'm here.
2: (laughs) I'm here with you, you, man. I think he chooses. You think what? (laughs) I think he chooses. Chooses. There you go. There you go. Oh man, that's
0: really good. I think. Um. I think just to, you know, kind of close this bring this to a close, Mm -hmm. to land the plane, if you will. Um, I think what's interesting is even in the midst of this, encouraging one another back and forth. And Akeem, I know you mentioned it too, just having people that you're walking with and having people that you're doing this with. Um, Mm -hmm. And that doesn't just mean like walking through deconstruction with, like that just means walking through life with you guys both go back to community and relationship. And you, Akeem, talked about a guy who's been a mentor to you since you were a teenager. Like, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, I guess for lack of a, uh, a more cliche way to end this, it's like the people we're around mean everything. And they're the ones Absolutely. that keep reminding us that Jesus is who he is. And um, I don't know, I guess, why don't you guys just like leave us with a little thought on what does that mean? Why is it so important that we're doing this with other people who can sort of like, just remind us of those truths that Jesus doesn't want to just like fulfill every whim and desire and dream for us mm-hmm. and maybe his expectations. Mm-hmm.
2: Because you can't actually become like Jesus apart from being around other right people mm-hmm. um especially jesus people it's, i you know it's a little bit cliche, but i I can't be loving if I don't learn how to love someone, and mm-hmm. if somebody doesn't tempt me to be unloving, you know the i have to I have to be agitated and I have to be mm-hmm. rubbed the wrong way, and that's mm-hmm. that's the necessity of community is um is learning to actually live like Christ because you have people to be christ like towards. Hmm. Yes. I think that's, that's a thing. You took the words out of my mouth. It's like,
1: you Mm -hmm. can't obey the teachings of Jesus by yourself. It's like Mm -hmm. how you love your neighbor when you ain't got no neighbors to love Mm on, Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Or. Yeah. you know, I think we, I think community provides the opportunities for us to step into what it means to be more like Jesus. It creates, it creates the opportunities for the spirit. Well, let me just try to get my words right. The spirit isn't all of it, but what I'm trying to say is people to people interactions present opportunities for us to live into the way of Jesus. It's like um this movie is is complex, but you know in a movie like Bruce Almighty? Mhm. Mhm. Okay, mm-hmm. you remember when Morgan Freeman was playing God? Whatever yeah. you want to say about all that. But, <laughs> you know, uh, there was there was a couple scenes in there, and then it was Evan Almighty that came after that. Yeah, and I think there was a question in the second one when Morgan Freeman is like, "When you pray for patience, does God make you patient, or does He give you opportunities to be patient?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Yo, Morgan Freeman is an atheist," but that question right there was as powerful as I've heard. Bro, I mm-hmm. don't care what you say, mm-hmm. common grace, right? But whatever. Um, it was in that in that thought or in that question that I go. Man, those opportunities come with other people, come with being in community. How do you capitalize on an opportunity to be patient if you have nobody to be patient with? I'm just mm-hmm. reiterating what Jake just said. Mm-hmm. That's it. So
0: all, my biggest thing.: God is learning is, him patience through me being in his life.
2: <laughs> it's, it's mutual. <laughs> come on.
1: So like this right here, what we just experienced was church we got three brothers chopping it up about their rabbi and i think we just edify one another and we got to exhibit some of the teachings of jesus just in a 45 I me mean, 50 54 minute conversation just now you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah we need each other in order to follow jesus mm-hmm. i think we're absolutely essential
2: i think one other aspect in the same vein is the church is is inherently a missional community and mm. um to to land in that unsafe place of I'm just going to follow Jesus alone is not only to land in a place where you can't uh, practice your Christianity, but you also, you don't really have any hope of fulfilling mm. the the mission. Mm. And and I, I think that's true just on the basis of you don't have all the gifts of the Spirit. Mm. No, no one Christian does. Yeah. And it takes all the gifts of the Spirit for work, working in conjunction with one another. Which is what a church is, um, at least it's one way of understanding it, in order for us to fulfill the Great Commission. And so mm. to me, coming and arriving at that place where it's just too hard to do it together is essentially just kind of waving the white flag and saying the mission's not worth it.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. And
1: what I hear you saying underneath is. Uh,
2: Deconstruct I'm what asking. I'm saying. Can you de- de-
1: de- <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me break it down, let me reconstruct it. <laughs> Um, yeah, what I hear you saying that what I hear you saying underneath all of that is it's actually a disservice to your own formation, not mm-hmm. to be in life with other people. That's what I hear you saying at the bottom of all of that. It's actually mm-hmm. a disservice to yourself to try to do it in isolation. Mm-hmm. It's like you can't grow apart from somebody else, you know mm-hmm. huh. It's like if I really think about the body of Christ like as like a physical entity. Like imagine a pinky trying to grow, uh, outside of its attachment to the rest of the body. It's like physically mm-hmm. impossible. Mm-hmm. It withers away if it's detached. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what I hear you saying. Am I am I on par with that? I think that's a hundred percent correct. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. Okay.
0: Yeah. Cool. Definitely. Not ninety nine. Yeah. We got hundred. We good. Hundred. Hundred percent. <laughs> hundred <laughs> percent. Hakeem, man, yeah. thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time to chat with us today, man. We're gonna have to do this again for sure. Well, thanks
1: for having me. You of know, course. This was, absolutely this was
0: up, man. where man. can people find you online? What uh where can people find you?
1: Uh oh yeah, I guess this is typical. I have an Instagram. It's called uh, Hakeem Bradley One.
2: Where can people listen to your podcast?
1: Oh, that too. Sorry. Thanks for the <laughs> plug. Uh yeah, our podcast can be filmed on Spotify or Apple. Um it's just called Reconstruct. They don't have like some weird skull logo. To play on Ezekiel, but okay. it, it looks like a motorcycle gang. <laughs> so. Nice.
0: Love it. Love it. We'll Great. link to it in the show notes, but, uh, sure. cool. Hakeem, man. Thank you. We'll do this again for sure. Thank Absolutely. you, sir. All right, brother. Talk to you soon.